Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Calling Tau City, turn on your radio. I know we had some words last time, but that was so long ago. I got your message. It was a little harsh, you know. It's still a little hard for me to hear. Please take it slow. Welcome to Starship Sofa, part of the District of Wonders Network, featuring tales to terrify and far-fetched fables. Everyone has a story in the District of Wonders. Come and find yours. I'm tuning in to your transmissions. I'm waiting to be found. And I'm building rockets. Pointing them to the moon. This is the Starship Sova. Everybody, welcome. Hello and welcome to show 615. I am your host, Tony C. Smith. Hello, everyone. I hope everyone is fine and dandy. What a cracking story we have today. Oh, yes, indeedy. Deep Water by Stephen Fisher. That is coming in today's show. I do hope you will stick around and enjoy it. So, yes, we have a great story. I want to jump straight into it. Like I say, Deep Water by Stephen Fisher. Fisher. Steve is a resident physician in the Pacific Northwest of the United States. When he's not too busy cracking open a textbook or a patient's thorax, you can find him exploring the Cascades by bike, boat or boot. His work has appeared in fantasy and science fiction, diabolical plots and grimdark magazine, amongst others. And you can find his work at, and there's a couple of links there to Steve's sites. Now, this story is narrated by the one and only Rish Outfield. Rish is a writer, voice actor and audiobook narrator. He can be heard co-hosting the June Steve Audio Fiction magazine and That Gets My Goat podcasts, where he and Big Alkovinch, Alkovinch, is that right? Entertainingly waste as much of their time. He also features his own stories on the Rish Outcast podcast. He once got a job because of his Sean Connery impersonation, but has also lost two due to his Samuel L. Jackson impersonation. So, the Starship Sova is very proud to present Deep Water by Stephen Fisher. Narrated by Rich Outfield. The man is going to die. There's nothing to be done about that. His heart is barely pumping, just a flutter beneath the thin polyfiber of his pressure suit, and he doesn't open his eyes when I shine my headbeam in his face or grind my knuckle into his sternum. Even if I got him back to Thea while he was still breathing, even if I dumped him in a resuscitation tank and flooded his lungs with warm liquid and dissolved oxygen, the odds he'd wake again are nil. The temperature on his readout is glowing dim and blue, and I wonder what's going on in his mind. Dad always told me men see crazy things before they freeze to death. Dad spent thirty-five years in the Coast Guard back on Earth, half that time as a rescue diver, and he saw enough deaths from hypothermia to know. Most people think you die from suffocation in a cruiser wreck, and you would, if you survived long enough to saturate the scrubbers in your suit with carbon dioxide, 
But dying in deep space is no different than dying in the ocean. The cold will kill you long before you drown. The boy, on the other hand, he might make it. Maybe. I stare down at his body as it drifts away from the floor with each lilting movement of the ship. The tangle of wires from the man's suit to his tells me they're father and son. I can't think of any other reason he'd route power from his own heater just to keep the boy warm a few hours longer. I can't imagine the thoughts that went through his mind, the promises he probably made to himself and the boy, that help was coming, even though he didn't know. Either way, it worked. Maybe. Above my head, a trio of drones dart through the cruiser's wreckage, tiny puffs of compressed nitrogen propelling them around the tangles of metal and wires. Thea's voice echoes through my earpiece. The rest of the ship looks empty, she says. I think these are our only two. That's one piece of good news, at least. What about the ship's digital? I ask. If Thea can wake up the AI and get it to talk, we might have a better idea why she wandered into an asteroid field alone. Thea pauses for a moment. Too much damage to the ship's neural networks. She's pulled herself back to the memory bank. Sorry, I mumble. Thea doesn't show it, but I know the news is hard for her. When a digital retracts like that, cuts off all sensory inputs and boils itself down to archived data, it doesn't come back. Not really. I engage the electromagnets in my boots, then kneel down beside the boy and tap the front of his visor. Hey there, I whisper. How are you doing? His eyes flicker open, green as a melon, then settle back down to a lazy half-shut. My name's Isaiah, I say. I point to the bright red emblem on my chest, two crossed anchors set in front of a blazing sun. Not quite the same insignia Dad wore back on Earth, but close enough that it reminds me of him. I'm with the Federation Naval Rescue Corps. We're going to get you out of here. He doesn't even moan in reply. Let's hurry, Thea whispers. I don't think he has much time. I grunt in agreement and extend. I grunt in agreement and extend the pneumatic arms from the torso of my dive shell, careful not to puncture his pressure suit as I lift him off the floor. You can tell how experienced a crew is by the quality of their suits. The veterans know it's worth spending a little extra on something so crucial. Unfortunately, nothing more than a few thin layers of polyfiber separate the boy from the void. I point my head beam down the crumpled corridor and push off the wall towards the route I came in on, cradling the boy's head in my hands. As I do, my vision goes fuzzy, and a searing pain shoots through the back of my neck. Damn, I mutter. I blink hard and breathe, and just as quick as it came, the pain is gone. You all right down there? Thea asks. Yeah, must have hit my head on the way in. I race down the corridor, pushing off the walls with the pneumatic arms on the dorsum of my shell, 
racing towards the docking bay like an awkward metal spider. In my arms, the boy looks like he's napping, not dying, but his vitals tell me otherwise. Hang in there, kid, I whisper. It's all going to be just fine. It's a lie. It always is. But one I've almost grown used to telling. It's not going to be all right for this kid. Not ever. Even if I get him out alive and Thea is able to revive him, he's going to wake up in a world without his father. I know from experience how far from all right that is. As we make the final turn to the docking bay, I look down the corridor and see Thea's airlock. I kick hard off the wall and speed towards her. As I do, the corridor in front of me bursts into pieces, and a ball of rock and ice rips through the docking bay. Jesus Christ! I shout, and I slam the dorsal arms of my suit into the wall to stop myself. They rip and gouge the corridor's metal interior, and the boy slides forward in my arms. I hug him even tighter. The asteroid tears through the ship without a sound in the empty space, but I feel the vibrations in my hands, my feet, my everything. The pain in my head surges back in full force, and I think, for a second, that I can see into Thea's bridge. It doesn't make any sense, because her bridge is nowhere near her docking bay, but I see it clear as day, and I see a body lying still on her floor. Then my vision clears, and I'm left looking out into a mess of stars and space where the corridor used to be. Thea is spinning a few hundred meters away, a piece of this ship still attached to her. You all right? I shout. My heartbeat pounds in my ears as I wait for her reply. I watch her thrusters flash to life as she steadies herself, then hear her voice over the calm. Yes, she replies. I'm all right. Neither of us say anything for a moment. Then I let out a little chuckle and sigh. Well, it looks like this exit's out of service. Indeed, she replies. I think we have another option on the other side of the ship. She streams the map to my visor, and I look at the route she's drawn out. Straight through the maintenance corridors in the belly of the ship to an access port on the other side. It'll be a tight squeeze, but none of the areas look too badly damaged. Besides, the route runs past the ship's memory bank, and I'm eager to take a peek at what's left of its digital, even if it's not much. I float back to the nearest maintenance hatch and try to pry it open with my ventral arms. With the ship's power out and hull integrity lost, they're all locked, so it takes me longer than it should. When I finally squeeze inside, there's hardly room to itch between the boy and my shell. I wrap my real arms around his head and chest and use my feet and dorsals to wiggle along. I check his vitals readout one more time and hope I can crawl fast enough. I reach the core a few minutes later. My head is still throbbing and the vibration of new impacts hum through my suit like a strange sort of music. Thankfully, they're distant and soft. The damage here isn't as bad as I expected, not from the way Thea described it. With the ship's digital trashed, I imagined this area would be nothing more than torn aluminum foil. I take another look at the map on my visor. The route Thea planned darts right around the memory bank. 
I assumed she'd done that because there was some sort of damage, but looking around, I don't see any signs. I'm taking a little detour, I tell her, and turn down a side corridor towards the memory bank. You sure you have time, she replies. The boy's vitals aren't looking so good. I glance down at him again, his green eyes beneath that fogged-up faceplate. Crystals of frost are beginning to creep their way along its edges. It'll just take a second, I mumble. I don't know why I have to know, but I do. I have to know why their ship was here in the first place, because right now it doesn't make any sense. This asteroid belt has been marked on every star chart for the past hundred years, and there are warning beacons scattered throughout it, just in case someone happens to wander too close. An asteroid belt doesn't sneak up on you. It's not like the storms that Dad used to dive in. The belt doesn't grow, or change, or appear out of nowhere. There's no way they could have wandered into it without knowing. And now I need to know. Because maybe it will make me feel better about the fact that he died, and the fact that his son might too. The hatch to the memory bank slides open, and my head beam shines inside. I expect to see it mangled and decimated, but instead, the room is pristine. You sure you said this thing isn't working? I ask Thea. Of course, she replies, but there's something less certain in her voice. I reach out and plug my suit into the jack on the terminal. Feel the heater in my shell grow a little cooler as the ship pulls some of the power from my suit. I watch the data flash to life on my visor screen. The crew manifest pops up on my display. No mention of the boy or his father. Instead, it's a list of twelve different crew members, all named and ranked in Federation Navy fashion. You seeing this? I ask. It doesn't make any sense. There are no other bodies on this ship, and certainly not any in Federation uniform. Besides, if the boy in my arms wasn't on the manifest in the first place, then where the hell did he come from? Everything goes dark, and my head is on fire again. I feel like I'm floating through space rather than anchored to the walls, and something squeezes my head so hard I'm afraid it might burst. Suddenly, I feel my whole body shivering. I think for a moment that I can see inside Thea again, that her command room is shredded with modules and tools floating loose through her like trash. A single monitor is still glowing on the wall, dim and blue and silent. Then my eyes flicker open again, and I'm back in the corridor. Hi, Thea, Thea whispers. Are you all right? I try to rub my head through my shell, but the pain is still there. Less than a moment ago, but throbbing and present. Yeah. I said I can see it. Looks like it was just these two aboard. My vision comes back into focus, and there are only two names on the manifest. Jeff and Marcus Chew. Father and son. I... I think I must have hit my head pretty hard. I can almost hear Thea's voice frowning at that, but she carries on anyway. Looks like they had an electrical failure. Two of their guide beacons went down in the middle of a jump. Probably didn't have any idea where they were going. 
The patter of impacts hums through my body as I race towards the maintenance port. Thea says we're drifting into a denser part of the belt. And the sooner I can get to her, the better. She doesn't need to say it. I'm reminded I need to hurry every time I look down at the boy. He hasn't moved, aside from a blink or two, since the moment I found him. But his heart is still beating strong, and his core temperature is holding stable. It's not perfect. I'd prefer that his eyes were open and he was talking to me. But it's better than nothing. The pain in my head just keeps growing as I squirm down the corridor. I don't remember hitting anything, but I must have. I'll have Thea take a look at me once she's finished with the boy. I keep playing the image back in my mind of the ghost manifest, as I'm calling it now, and I get the sense that it's not bothering me as much as it should. Before I can think about it too much, Thea's probes dart past me down the corridor. You're close, she says. Keep going. You're almost there. I reach the port and kick the maintenance hatch open, staring suddenly into the emptiness of space. The dim, gray expanse of the belt stretches around me, dust and ice glittering in the light of innumerable stars. It's gorgeous for a moment, until I realize that Thea is nowhere to be seen. Thea? I ask. Where the hell are you? In my arms... The boy is tanking, his heart rate plummeting faster than the epinephrine from my suit can counteract. I anchor my dorsals to the port and peek out into the void. When I catch sight of Thea, I almost stop breathing. She's floating a few hundred meters from the cruiser, her hull shredded into more pieces than I can count. Strips of her frame hang off her in ways they shouldn't, drifting in the solar wind. Thea! I scream her name as loud as I can, and for the longest time, there's no answer. Then I hear her voice whisper, and the pain in my head buckles my knees. Isaiah, she says, you need to wake up. My eyes go dark first, the whole world washed out like being covered by a wave. Then my ears, just the sounds of crashing water and foam and garbled speech. The ghost manifest flashes into my mind, names I know I should remember, and almost do. I clutch the boy even tighter to my chest, and I can feel how cold he's grown. It's impossible through the layers of my shell, but it's happening anyway. His frozen skin saps the warmth from my body like a slab of living ice. I set my feet on the edge of the port, do my best to remember where I'd seen Thea floating, and jump. I hang for a moment in the frozen void, feel the nothingness crash over me like waves, like the time Dad took me swimming off the pier on Lake Michigan, the time I almost drowned, but didn't. Then I open my eyes and take a gasping breath. The boy is gone and I realize I'm not floating through open space. I'm lying on the deck in Thea's burned-out bridge, a cord running from the wall to the back of my suit. I can't hear a thing, but I feel the staccato vibrations of tiny asteroids striking the hull of the crippled ship. Slowly, I hear Thea's voice grow louder in my head, 
almost like draining water from my ears. Isaiah, she says. Isaiah, you need to wake up. You need to open your eyes. I try to lift my head, but the pain threatens to knock it back down. It feels different now, though, like I can finally place exactly where it is. Don't move, she says. You hit your head hard in the initial wreck, and a few more times in the impact since then. I groan and shift my eyes to look around the room. It's just me and Thea's bridge, clamped to the wall by the magnets on my pressure suit. Pressure suit, not dive shell. The boy is nowhere to be seen. Thea, I ask, what happened to the boy? She's silent for a moment. What boy? I want to shout, but I know my headache won't let me. The boy, Thea, the one we rescued from the ship, the one I just jumped through deep space to save. Thea says nothing, but a mission brief flashes to life on my visor. This boy? she asks. I read as fast as my eyes will let me. Jeff and Marcus Chu. Cruiser missing for four days. Suspected wreck in the Kepler belt. Status. Not located. That doesn't make any sense, I mumble. They aren't missing. We found them. I carried that boy out of his ship. I say, she replies. We never found their cruiser. They're likely both dead by now. I close my eyes and try to remember. Try to remember climbing aboard their ship and finding them side by side. But the memory is dissolving already. As it disappears, other memories take its place. Memories of the crew arguing about whether or not the rescue was worth the risk. Memories of the crew, period. Thea, I ask, suddenly afraid. Where is the rest of the crew? She's silent as the manifest flashes up on my visor. Little black dots next to all twelve of their names. Deceased. And a red one next to mine. In another panel, there's a diagram of the ship. All compartments punctured. Torn to shit and in even worse shape than me. In that moment, it all makes sense. The boy the manifest, the throbbing pain in the back of my head, the fact that I can't feel my feet, or my hands, or anything below my neck. How long, Thea? I whisper. How long ago did we wreck? It takes a moment for her to reply, almost as if she's deciding whether to lie or tell the truth. It's been almost a week since I sent a distress call. Jesus, and she's managed to keep my life support running that long. Thea, how much power do you have left? She pauses even longer this time. Enough to keep you warm. And what about you? Don't worry about that. We'll chat when help arrives, she replies. And help is coming, I promise. It's all going to be all right. 
I close my eyes as her voice trails away, as she pulls herself back into ones and zeros somewhere in her memory banks. It's a lie, just like it always is. But for once, I'm glad to hear someone say it. And there you go. A big, huge thank you to Stephen. Stephen, thank you so much indeed. And Rish, it's just lovely to hear your voice. I'd still, like myself, sir, still plugging away there. Thank you indeed, gentlemen. So that is today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. Yes, I really did. And do pop back next week. Until then, just like to say, good night from me. This presentation has been brought to you by the District of Wonders Network. Dedicated to podcasting the finest genre fiction. You can learn more about the District of Wonders and their many literary productions at their website, www.districtofwonders.com. Thank you for listening. I don't get that much. I've barely left the ground. I'm tuning in to your transmissions. I'm Anytime soon, can you reach me? Is my signal getting through? Turn on your radio, I wanna talk to you. This signal's going light speed. By the time I get my say, I might already be on to you and on my way. But you're so far from here And at best I'm moving slow So I'm waiting on your call at home With nowhere to go Can you reach me? Is my signal getting through? Turn on your radio I want to talk to you I want to talk to you Myself on a radio wave, I might get to you someday. If books were rocket ships, I'd need only the will to fly. I'm still building word by word, and I'll get out there by and by. I'll get out there by and by. I'll get out there. I'll get out there by and by. I'll get out there by and by. I'll get out there.